Welcome to the College Scoops Podcast. I'm your host, Moira McCullough, and today we are talking with Kevin March, who was a transfer student, sharing his story and tips for any students considering transferring to another college. I think what I realized quickly, though, and it's it's hard to kind of picture this, I think, when you're not doing it, but it really takes like, you know, it's kind of a part-time job. Like it takes like 20 to 25 hours a week, probably. Um, so like just to break that down, like practice would be three or four hours a day, Monday through Thursday. This is the College Scoops Podcast, and I'm your host, Moira McCullough. We focus on everything college-related, from the admissions process to where to eat, stay, and explore on and around campuses. Our guests include founders, educators, authors, and experts in the college space. Join us as these experts share their knowledge, experiences, and lessons learned to help you have stress-free, informative, and tasty college journeys. Whether it's your first or last child going to college, or you're just interested in going to a college town for a game or meal, we've got you covered. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the College Scoops podcast to get the inside scoops on everything college-related, and leave us a review. Thanks to all of our sponsors, partners, and the entire College Scoops Ambassador team for helping us bring valuable content to our community. If you would like to support College Scoops as a sponsor, please head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash college scoops and sign up as a sustaining listener, insider, or deluxe sponsor. We have exclusive benefits for our members, free eBooks, and even a College Scoops care package. Kevin March is a senior college admissions consultant in the greater Boston area for Farad Education. Kevin has advised over 200 students through the college admissions process and is a trusted source of academic knowledge for local news channels. He specializes in identifying students' personal and career-oriented goals and subsequently implementing standardized test preparation and personalized counseling accordingly. Kevin is currently pursuing his PhD in history at Boston College. Welcome to the College Scoops podcast, Kevin. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm a little bit also unnerved because you have so many degrees and you're continuing to get so many degrees. And we just talked about your brother who was also trying to get additional degrees. So I guess it runs in the family. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, um, thank you for, for saying that. Unfortunately, uh, I was talking to my friends about it. I'll, I'll end up with two history master's degrees, which may be the use, most useless combination of graduate degrees there can be. But um, yeah, I guess I, I, I like school too much, I guess. so. Well, I need to brush up on my history. So I'd love to be able to be at a dinner table and listen to you and share your stories and kind of bring me up to speed on everything I didn't learn in high school and college. But can you just share a little bit about yourself? We brought you on today to talk about your experience at school and transferring, So, which I'm really excited about because I know there's a lot of students out there who may think they want to transfer, have mm-hmm. no idea how to go about it, don't even know where to begin, the resources available, but can you just provide a little bit of insight into who you are? And- sure, yeah. So I, I'm from Western Massachusetts, which is two hours west of um, Boston and then, you know, an hour west of Worcester, as they say here. Uh, so I grew up there and I was, you know, I would say a relatively good student. I I was also pretty competitive in fencing at the time, which is one of the reasons I looked at 
UNC originally, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Um, and that was something that actually really drove my application process that as a freshman or a senior in high school, you know, going into freshman year. So I applied to, to schools, I think nine schools with all fencing programs. Um, I, was, I was five for five until Ivy League day when all the Ivy decisions came out. And then I think I dropped to like five for nine. <laughs> and then um, from there, I, I knew that I had visited Chapel Hill as a, a junior over spring break, like a lot of people do their college visits then. So I kind of knew that that was going to be my pretty clear choice if I had gotten in and so, some of the other places didn't work out. So can I ask just in terms of the recruiting, because you were fence, were you working with somebody on getting recruited? Were you talking with the coach? Because that's a whole nother discussion in terms of working with coaches and experts on getting recruited for student athletes. Yeah, that's a great question. So my I didn't have a formal person I was working with. I did, but my my fencing coach, fencing's a pretty small world. So my fencing coach knew the coach at North Carolina, at least not, you know, not very, very well, but like they weren't great friends or anything, but they at least knew of each other. And I, I think there there were a lot of big tournaments. Um there's like a, a July tournament that happens. It's called the North America Cup, um, or summer nationals, and then there are a bunch that happen every few months. So when I was looking in October or November, um, my coach said that my coach was going to one of these tournaments and he knew that the North Carolina coach was going to be there sort of scouting and a few other coaches at the places I was, I was looking at, were going to also be scouting. Um, and he was like, I'll put it in, you know, I'll put your name in and just mention you basically. I, I did have that sort of interaction or that, that going for me, but it wasn't like a formal, recruitment process in the way that like football would be or something like that. Okay. So then you, you decide on UNC Chapel Hill, you, you go and do you actually join the team, the fencing team? And Yeah. So I, I did do the fencing team my first year and I was pretty serious about it. One of my priorities was to be um, like a division one athlete and North Carolina is obviously not obviously, but it's, it's a pretty well known, um, athletic powerhouse, especially in basketball and football and women's soccer, but um, they're also pretty strong in fencing. I knew that I was never going to be like their top person, um, but I, or not never, but especially as a freshman. And, but I, I, you know, I was pretty committed at that time to really trying to rise through the ranks and maybe become one of their starters, like as by, by senior year or something like that. How, just out of curiosity, how large is they, was the team? It was pretty big. It was usually the men and women practice together um, in fencing. And so it was probably about 50 people total, okay. 50 athletes. And the same coach that you were introduced to was the coach for the program. Yeah. So the, the coach that my coach talked to, Ron Miller, who was there, he just retired, actually. He was there for 50 years. He started, yeah, he started right after college and then coached into his 70s. Uh, so he was kind of iconic. He told my coach at the time that like it was really going to be more about my academics because I wasn't, they weren't going to use a recruitment spot on me, but it, it could help that I was, you know, at least I had some results that were favorable and a little bit of like a, I had done a, like reasonably re well kind of in the region of New England. So. Okay. So you get to UNC, you're on the fencing team. Do you like it? Um, fencing team. Yeah, it was, it was intense. Um, I, I did really like the people. I think what I realized quickly though, and it's it's hard to kind of picture this, I think when you're not 
doing it, but it really takes like, you know, it's kind of a part-time job. Like it takes like 20 to 25 hours a week probably. Um, so like just to break that down, like practice would be three or four hours a day, Monday through Thursday. We had weight training twice a week for two hours. And then especially like, you know, later in the fall semester and then into the spring semester um, as well, because fencing is considered a winter sport. So it kind of overlaps the two semesters. We would have competitions and usually we would drive to those. The longest, the longest we drove was from Chapel Hill to Chicago, which was like <laughs> a 16 hour bus trip. And then I remember this very well, like the bus broke down in West Virginia and like they had to get another bus. So it took over 20 hours to get there. And yeah, it just, uh, it really consumed your weekends and a lot of your life. So. Were you able to get involved in anything else at UNC that first year? So you were there freshman year. Mm-hmm. And sophomore year. Okay. So freshman and sophomore year. Were you able to get involved in any other aspects of college life? Yeah. Um, I, had, I had some good friendships outside of through, through the people I met in my dorms and kind of the nice thing was that my roommate was from Raleigh and about 80% of over 80% of Chapel Hill students are from North Carolina. So he knew, he knew like 50 people coming in basically from his high school. Um, and so I kind of got integrated into that network pretty quickly. And I had a pretty good friend group actually early on. And we're actually, we're still friends and we keep in touch. So that, that's been a really positive takeaway from it. Yeah. In terms of other clubs, I was in this like, uh, there was a Peace War and Defense major at UNC, or there still is, that was a unique interdisciplinary major. So there was like a Peace War and Defense Alumni Association that I was part of. Like it basically, we ran events for alumni, I think, and it maintained this like internship database. It wasn't a huge commitment outside of, because I couldn't really take on huge, huge commitments. But beyond that, I think that was mostly it. Yeah. So then... You have a fencing team, a community that you enjoyed. Mm-hmm. You had a roommate who you liked. You were in with the kind of local friends. Yeah. Still keep in touch with them. So at what point were you like, this is not the place where I want to stay for the next two, mm-hmm. you know, two more years? At what point in your freshman or sophomore year did you decide, I need to look elsewhere to further my education and thrive? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I... I had kind of this like idyllic first semester, actually kind of the opposite of what a lot of people had. I had this almost like, not that there were no bumps, but like a pretty, pretty smooth transition. And then sort of at the end of my second semester of freshman year, I kind of realized, I started to realize that I wasn't maybe as happy as I thought and like the newness started to wear off a little bit. The other thing was I kind of lost the I don't know. I kind of I didn't lose interest in fencing. I would, but I, I started to realize that like this kind of student athlete model of like really being a a good student, but also like performing on the the fencing strip or whatever sport it is. Um, it it really didn't work for me that well. I didn't do quite as well as I wanted to. I still did fairly well in in college, but not like the first year. I didn't do quite as well as I wanted to. I think that like. At that time, also, the, some of the athletic scandal stuff came out about UNC. So they're not for fencing, but for a lot of the major sports, they were starting. There was a lot of, um, you know, some, some revelations that, like, athletes were being put in these, like, automatic A classes and sort of getting this, like, special treatment that really 
was keeping them eligible to compete, basically. So I didn't feel like the university's priorities at that time were in the right place. And I felt a little bit weird about this athletic team that even if they weren't really at the center of it, like it felt like I was kind of standing for that in a way. Was that the driving motivation that you said, okay, not only am I not interested in fencing anymore, but yeah, the student athlete, I want to do something. Mm -hmm. And UNC is not the place where I want to finish out my college career. Yeah. So I I actually ended up leaving the fencing team in the fall of my sophomore year. And after that, I started to realize that there were kind of cultural differences and other aspects of the, the school that weren't a great fit. The other thing that really happened at the time was in September, right at the beginning of my sophomore year, kind of by chance, I, I stumbled on a Facebook acquaintances post just on my newsfeed. And she it was something like, oh, you know, pictures from moving into Brown. And I was like, wait, didn't this girl go to Wesleyan first? And it turned out she had transferred as a junior to Brown, basically. And so that really put it on my map that like, that could be something that I could do too. Um, I sort of hadn't had that thought. And it's not that I, I never even reached out to her or anything like that. But it was kind of like an eye opening moment for me that really put it on the table early on in my sophomore year. So it was almost like, okay, other people are doing this, this is possible, I can have bridge, you know, to go for it. Mm -hmm. Now, how did you go about researching the next step and were there any particular resources online or from your school or the school that you transferred to that helped you make that decision yeah there were definitely pages on the school's website about you know each school's website that i looked at about transferring um i kind of went through the process where i I looked at a few schools that didn't ultimately make the cut but then um ended up with four. The, the nice thing is, is that like there is, there is some information on those schools' websites. It's not always as accessible as the first year students' information. And, but the, the thing about it is you need certain forms and other, other things to transfer, like a registrar's report in a lot of cases that aren't readily available from your current institution that you want to transfer out of. Um, and because UNC isn't, you know, obviously a community college or something like that, they're not trying to like advertise or like especially help you transfer out. They're not going to prevent you from doing it, of course, but it was something that, you know, took a lot of, you know, especially just like with the forms, um, a lot of like digging and a lot of emailing and figuring out how to get these like less common forms. Forms that you need from UNC to transfer. So detective work, reaching out to the people to get, Mm -hmm. provide you the forms that you have to apply to those. Yes. When did that start? Second semester of sophomore year? Or how does that work? No, I started pretty early. I started in October of my, my sophomore year. Um, so it took time to get the forms. It took a lot of time to write the essays also, because you need, you need to write a new common app essay that really addresses why you want to transfer, as well as like maybe certain things about your character. And I think that's probably one of the most, if not the most tricky parts. I I like to call it like breaking up with your school. Um, You have to sort of do it in a really nice way um, and just be like, it's not you, it's me, right? I've changed. You don't want to come across as really negative or like, I hate this place, so you should accept me into your school because that's not going to work. And that doesn't show that you've really grown and learned stuff. When you went through and knew that you want to transfer again, did it automatically come up with, oh my gosh, you, I think you mentioned four schools that you applied to. Mm-hmm. 
what was the differentiator? You, I know you mentioned culture, student athlete, that type of thing with UNC, but was there one particular school that you knew you wanted to go to? What aspect of that school, Cornell, that you ended up at was the deciding factor? I was struck by Cornell as a potential fit early on, um, and I knew that I would be comfortable you know, ending up there. I also applied to, I think it was Penn, Johns Hopkins, and WashU, and then I ended up getting into Cornell and WashU. So I was, you know, between WashU and Cornell, obviously I chose Cornell. That actually ended up being a pretty easy decision because the, the history department at WashU is, is very, very good, obviously, but Cornell's is kind of nearer to the top, I guess, of the informal rankings. So that was something. And I, I just felt like the culture was a more familiar fit at Cornell. Um, I went through a lot of other, not a lot of other, but I knew that I didn't want to like, I knew that I, I, I needed like to transfer somewhere that was going to be, you know, at least as prestigious, if not slightly more. Um, that was going to be something. So that narrowed my field a little bit. Um, I knew I wasn't really interested in a, in a liberal arts college because I did like the size of UNC. And so that also narrowed stuff down. And then I just didn't really have an interest in the West Coast um, all that much. So there were a couple other, and then finally a lot of IVs like, um, except for Cornell really and Penn, kind of the general thing is they really don't take many of any transfer students, sometimes a handful like at Harvard, Yale, Princeton. I wasn't looking super seriously at those, but that kind of just crossed off a number from my list. And then there were a bunch of, you know, a few others that kind of left like Northwestern, which was a little bit far. A few other places, uh, I felt like Duke was going to have a lot of the same problems. Um, so I didn't, I didn't transfer, I didn't look there really. Yeah, I just kind of ended up with four over time. But I would say that like, I, I feel like the four I ended up with were pretty consistent ones, not like... I maybe added, maybe I had six, but like those kind of core four stayed there, stayed on my list. So if I can recap, so it was program, you mentioned the status too of your company mm -hmm. see Chapel Hill. It's got to be at least the same, if not a better caliber school and the geography mm -hmm. and the size. Did you reach out to any current students that were there or professors at the, at the school to confirm your thoughts? Yeah, I actually did. Um, I I talked to a little. I talked a little bit to um, some of the guys on the Cornell fencing club team because I, I knew I wanted to keep fencing, but just not as not nearly as intensely. Uh, so I I did reach out to them, and actually I I visited Cornell and had dinner with a few of them over Thanksgiving break. You know, as I was kind of looking and applying. So and they actually we became friends later down the road. So I I got to see Cornell. That was the only place I'd really visited. My brother actually went to Johns Hopkins, so he had kind of told me about it a bit, but he had visited and looked at it himself. And then I hadn't really visited the other two. But yeah, I, I think Cornell was the one I definitely engaged with the most, and I felt like it was probably the best fit, ultimately. So, so you get in, and then how did you integrate yourself into the Cornell community? Like, was that hard? Because I know making that decision, having the courage to move, getting accepted, then the next step is making yourself part of that community um it was tough it was i would say that the first thing was that the housing kind of goes really quickly there so by the time i you know by the time i had accepted i, I think i found out in late april that i had been accepted and sort of sealed the deal at the end of my sophomore year i didn't have housing until like june and like it you know the 
the semester was going to start in August. So there really wasn't that much available. I ended up kind of finding my own, like a one person apartment. So I, I lived there, which was, it was really nice to have my own space, but then that didn't really help socially because like I was just kind of living alone and I did go to class and start making friends that way, obviously. And the fencing team also really helps, but it was hard to um, sort of get into it. Hard, hard to break in kind of as a junior. Um, I think I did relatively like the best I could, but it was definitely challenging. So in terms of advice then, if you mm -hmm. talking to one of your students, what are some things that you would do differently, lessons learned and you know, advice for students who are contemplating transfer? Um, I think that I would have lived with other transfer students as you know as an incoming transfer student i think that would have been a really nice thing to do and i kind of wish i had done that even though i may have had a night like a lot less of a nice place or gone back to a dorm maybe i should i could have lived off campus my senior year but not you know kind of stuck with it my junior year stay on that point for a second did cornell do a good job of providing resources or connections recommendations for transfer students like did they have a transfer student group connection that you could reach out to and say where's housing how do you register for classes yeah they, they did and they're one of the few i don't want to say the few prestigious but kind of the few like pretty top echelon places to do that i think um they had their own transfer orientation um they had a lot of other a few other events at the beginning there could have been maybe a little bit more like social events at the very beginning, but I think overall they were pretty clear about the housing. I just ended up looking off campus because that's kind of what the normal trajectory is at Cornell. Like you do two years of living on campus and then people usually move to off campus housing their junior year. But I think I think that maybe in hindsight it would have been good to live in on campus housing um, just with other transfer students. Right. And any other recommendations that you would have for students? I mean, you had the fencing team that you had reached out to, mm -hmm. one connection. Anything else that you would recommend to students to make it an easier transition? Yeah, I mean, I think getting involved quickly is the main thing. Um, and in some cases, if you have sort of interests or things that you liked about your previous school that you were involved in, just trying to find the equivalent at your new school is a good idea. I, I know a few transfer students who are actually in Greek life for example, um, who were able just to like join their the equivalent fraternity or sorority at Cornell as in their previous school. So if, if that's something you're into, that's a pretty good option. Otherwise, I mean, yeah, just like being pretty proactive and trying to make friends. Obviously, you don't want to be desperate, but like you want to really kind of hit the, hit the, hit the ground running. So. Kevin, you right now work for Farah Education, and you're working with a lot of students. Do you see a lot of students right now, given what we've just gone through with online learning and being remote, are you working with a lot of students who are considering transferring right now? Um, I actually have, yeah. I don't take a, a ton of clients at this point just because of um, being in grad school and all that stuff. but. Yeah, um, a lot of the, the students that I've worked with recently have at least explored transferring. Some have even taken a leave of absence and like reclassified as first years for their admissions process. So that's kind of, it just shows like how much kind of upheaval and uncertainty the whole pandemic situation has caused. I also think that it's easy 
it's easy to kind of rush to a decision and, and maybe explore other options, you know, without having actually set foot on campus or been on campus all that much. So I would caution, you know, not overreacting and sort of just throwing in transfer applications because this year wasn't what you hoped it would be. But at the same time, if you know that it's not a good fit, you should definitely consider exploring other options. Well, it's so hard. I think depending upon what stage your clients are at, if you're a sophomore who had that on-campus experience Mm -hmm. and the old normal and now had this pandemic way of going to college, at least you have something to compare it to. To your point, don't jump the gun. If everyone's in the re- many schools are remote and dealing with this situation in different ways, you know, I think it's really hard. Yeah, to your to your point. So the advice, A, I think reaching out to current students who are at the school, asking the questions, the culture fit, it, it's there. Yeah. If you're from the Northeast, this the South, you know, you have to know that it, it's different. So mm-hmm. you can only try so hard to fit in, right? Yeah, I agree. And I think I think one thing that maybe I wish I had done differently in high school was I also felt like, you know, I had to go as far away as possible to have an independent college experience. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I mean, it's one thing like to go to college in the same town as your parents or something. Like you're probably not going to have the most independent experience. But if you go even like a couple hours away versus like a plane ride away. Um, you know, you can still have a pretty, you know, kind of do your own thing. Um, I'm not discouraging, you know, obviously going far for college if that's a good fit. But I think in terms of having an independent experience, you definitely don't need to do that. Oh, I, I'm a, a test case for that. I, I said that I was going to go so far away. I didn't want to be anywhere close to home. And I went 30 minutes on a train ride. (laughs) But having said that, as my parents said, they didn't see or hear from me any more than they did my siblings who were states away. So Mm -hmm. you can create any type of experience you want and make it as impactful and meaningful. And even though you're 30 minutes away, it can feel like you're states away. So yeah. Great. Any other last minute advice to students? I think the the main thing, the turning point really is like realizing that you can transfer and that's an option because it's just not talked about that much. But in fact, like close to, I think it's well over a third of students transfer at least once during undergrad. So, I mean, it's obviously something that happens all the time, um, but it's just not really articulated, maybe because of taboo to an extent, but I think also just like it's really a lack of like focus on it. I don't think it's necessarily stigmatized all that much, um, maybe in some cases, but really, I didn't really encounter that very much. So what I would say is, yeah, just consider your options. And it's, you know, if it's something where you're not happy with the school, like you can put it on the table for yourself. And it does require a fair amount of like independent effort. Um, I always tell my students to treat it as like another class because you're writing the essays and, you know, getting all this material together. So definitely account for the time that it takes to do, but, or at least to do well. But um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a legitimate option. And, you know, if you consider it as much, you can really change your circumstances. It's good to know about that because it's time, energy. There's going to be an uh, emotional aspect, as you said, making that decision. And also it's an expense issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another thing I'll say is that just really quickly that so a lot of schools that are need blind for 
first year admissions are not need blind for transfer. So you have to be careful with that. They might, that, which means that they'll, they'll look at like your family, they'll make a decision, you know, in, in part based on your fi- family's financial situation, AKA whether you can pay or how much you can pay of the tuition. Which is probably something, as you said, you wouldn't have known, maybe you assume. Mm-hmm. What do you wish you knew before attending college? I mean, I guess the one thing that I, I guess I had said was just the, the travel aspect and having an independent experience. The other thing is, you know, basically like, I wish that I had not made fencing like the center of my search and looked at other schools. Um, so, I mean, I think that I had these kind of delusions of grandeur of like being a really top ranked fencer. Um, and I think some of that stemmed from a little bit of my frustration with my high school program, just because I didn't feel like they were always serious or as serious as I was about it. But that didn't necessarily mean just because I was like a relatively serious competitor doesn't mean that I wanted to be, you know, high up in the rankings or whatever. Um, and that wasn't ultimately a, you know, a goal that I really wanted or necessarily could achieve. So that was another thing. Well, I think I've heard a lot of people say, especially with student athletes, you know, do you like that school for the sport that you were recruited for? Mm -hmm. And knowing that that coach may not be there when you start, that program may go through upheaval. And if you were to decide that you didn't want to play that sport, would that school still rank on that list? Mm -hmm. Really something that I think is hard when you're young and you have these visions. I know I, I was recruited for swimming and that's what I wanted, but and I actually stopped swimming after a certain point as well. Mm-hmm. But the school was still a right fit for me. But that's definitely some great advice for students out there as they have their ranking of priorities on what they want in a school. Take away some of those. And does that school still hold true on the ranking list for their applications? Do you have a favorite dessert place? I'm a dessert person, but you could throw out if it's a food place as well on a college campus. And you've had plenty now. I forgot. You also went to McGill. Yeah, that's true. I So there was this place in Chapel Hill called the Yogurt Pump. I think it's still there, but it's this really great frozen yogurt place. Um, that almost kept me in Chapel Hill, to be honest. But yeah, it, it was really good. So I, I recommend going there if you're ever in town. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on our show and helping any student who is considering transferring. You provided a great amount of information and hopefully will put students' minds at ease as they contemplate that decision. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. It was great to be on. Thank you, Kevin, for joining us today to share your transfer story and providing tips to students who are thinking about transferring. If you know the school is not the right fit, start to research other schools and identify where you want to go next. Review the transfer information on that particular college you are looking to transfer to and start to gather the required paperwork as it is not easy and it takes time and perseverance to get the right forms in place. The common application essay will take some thought and grace in how you communicate why you want to transfer. When you do land at your new school, get to know the other transfer students as it may help with the transition. Get involved early and often to help feel like a valuable member of the community. You can find all of our show notes and links to the helpful resources mentioned throughout our conversation on our website at collegescoops.com slash podcast. You can learn more about Kevin and Farad Education on their website, Farad Education please take a couple of minutes to rate, review, and subscribe to College Scoops.
Thank you for listening to our College Scoops podcast. Our entire College Scoops team strives to make the college journey a little bit easier, less stressful, fun, and tasty by sharing all the inside scoops we have curated along the way. We would love to hear from you about topics to cover and your ideas on everything college-related. Reach out to us at collegescoops.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.